Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4:23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. Spirit of God, stand between me and your people so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together would be shaped, formed, and molded into the good news of the gospel of Christ, in whose name we've gathered, in whose name we pray, and in whose name we will depart and seek to follow and to serve faithfully. And all of God's people did say, Amen. Amen. So the first week of this series, based on the book, Get Your Life Back by John Eldridge, um, was about outlining the problem of our hypervigilant world, which is determined so much by what happens within technology and what happens with the uh, informational flow that's around us. It just sort of keeps pressing and accelerating our lives, and we try to keep up at that pace. The technology that was supposed to help make our lives easier, after all, we were told years ago, oh, don't worry about it, it's a computer program, it'll take care of it, it'll lessen the workload. And what I've learned is a computer program is only as good as the person who manages the computer program. And then sometimes I've realized that computer programs actually have minds of their own, right? Have you ever had to uh, do something on your phone or your computer and the best that the 1-800 number of technology has for you is saying what? Have you tried turning it off, rebooting, restart? That's the best you've got? And then when you restart and reboot, all those defaults sort of show up. But then again, technology is this amazing thing that allows us to hear from Clint and the team in Tanzania. It's not technology that is evil. It's how technology is used and utilized. Does it deepen your faith or is it a distraction? Have you become dependent upon it? Has it replaced many things. One of the amazing things coming out of that season of COVID is we still hold on to the gift of Zoom, but I far prefer being in person again, right? But the amazing thing is I was on a cohort meeting of Board of Ordained Ministry Chairs in the Global Methodist Church. It included people from Bulgaria and Slovakia all the way across the United States. And that's a gift. So I don't say, I just technology is not the evil. It's how technology is used. And do we let it determine our lives or do we determine how it can serve us? Last week we looked at, in both the vine and the sanctuary, about the disruptions, right? The, the interruptions that happen. And we see in the life of Christ that Christ dealt okay with the interruptions that 
Getting your life back is understanding, is the interruption an opportunity to lean into hearing where God might be leading, God might be inviting you to get your attention. I wonder, as I've thought this week about preparing for today, I wonder what would happen if every one of us woke up on Sunday morning and, and we said this, God, help me see who you're going to bring to church today. In other words, who, and then every Monday morning, God, who are you going to put in my path today that I can share the good news with? In other words, are you shaping your lens and your ears, your eyes, to see how is God wanting you to pour out your life into others around you so that His grace and His love might be known? And today what we want to unpack is not just understanding the divine disruptions, but really how our choices of what we do with what happens determines so much. Years and years ago, I heard Tom Landry quoted as saying, I, I don't know if he actually said it, but it was attributed to him, that life is 10% of what happens to you and 90% of how you choose to respond. Life is 10% of what happens and 90% of what you choose to respond. So what we choose to do in this series is to invite you into that pause. There are handouts at the table. Look, that little welcome table is filled with things today. You can find something on there. And one of those also on the, um, uh, there's a kind of a podium that's in the narthex area. It's a half sheet. It has a prayer for you for daily and also the pause information if you haven't leaned into it. But if you're like me and been leaning into the pause, uh, I set that reminder on the phone. It's a nice way to pause the busyness. And just after that prayer, Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. So that you don't simply keep on the treadmill of busyness. But what do we do when we try to be in control and life seems out of control in life? I would suggest to you that if we look to what happened in the life of Jeremiah, there's an amazing verse in Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 5. That is, Jeremiah is complaining to God about something. God responds to Jeremiah and says this, says this, If racing against mere men makes you tired, how will you race against horses? If you stumble and fall on open ground, what will you do in the thickets near the Jordan? The Hebrew meaning thickets is also in the reeds around the Jordan. In other words, the imagery, when the waters swell up in the Jordan and you trip. And, and God's saying, look, uh, Jeremiah, you, you're coming to me with this, but you're having a hard time just living life. And I want to be the God who's there with you in all things. So what we want to unpack is this. How do we develop ability to hear God's voice because there really is no other substitute for that in life. This is the way John Eldridge says it. You must develop your abilities to hear the voice of God because there's no substitute for this in life. You have too many questions. There's too many wrinkles to the story. There's too many unique challenges that any person faces. You can't master enough principles. You have to have a conversational relationship with God. I love that phrase, a conversational relationship with God. So I want you to hang on to that phrase, the conversational relationship, the determining the rhythm of your life, the idea of putting in a pause, and I want to kind of lay one other image before you. I came across um, this saying this week that I modified a little bit, but I love this as, a, as an insight. 
The goal of the gospel is not to affirm you, to celebrate you, or to empower you to do whatever you want to do. That's sort of the message of culture. The goal of the gospel is to rescue you, to transform you, and empower you to do whatever God is calling you to do. So do you see the thread and the weave that's gone throughout this is we're finding the way to put life lefts about us at the center and God at the center. Waking prayers. God, who are you going to place before me today? Help me to see what's before me this day. I'm going to pause in the midst of the busyness. I'm going to find ways to connect. And why do we do that? And how do we do that? It's all unpacked right here in the stages of faith um, that John Eldridge talks about. So we're going to do two things. We're going to unpack what John Eldridge calls stages of faith, and then we're going to unpack the biblical undergirding for how we get there. So first, um, there are four basic stages that John Eldridge suggests that we go through in our stages of faith. The first is a simple stage. It's that exciting time of new beginnings, whether we are eight or whether we are 80, right? It's that moment when we've had an encounter most often for our youth. It's at a retreat or it's at camp, and there's this awakening that happens. Sometimes it's a conversion, sometimes it's a reassurance of the faith, but there's this moment in which your faith, it's just so simple and clear, right? It's so easy to live, and that's where a lot of people enter into, and then that grows to a stage of obedience. And the obedience stage is where we are making conscious choices and changing our behaviors, because we want to know and follow God's will, but it's a sense of obedience. It's, it's in some degree an obligation, right? We know what we should do because we've encountered the living God and we look to the scriptures and most often we look to, okay, what am I supposed to do? Let me remind you though that you're a human being, not a human doing. And so your being is about finding that relationship with God, but we all step immediately into that aspect of what does it look like? And that's not bad. It's just that's where we are. Hey, what do I need to do? What are the things I do in my personal life and habits and behaviors? And that's very appropriate. I like to remind us that in the Scriptures, we are absolutely justified by faith. No doubt. There's nothing that we can do on our own to create God's love for us. But we are judged by our fruit, both in the words of Jesus and the epistles, that people will know you by your fruit. So we are justified by faith. We are judged by fruit. So obedience is important. God, what do you want me to do? When we're faced with choices, we have two ways of choosing, God's will or not God's will. He says the third stage we move into is that stage of faithful servants. So it's not just about following obediently what God wants for us, but we find ourselves faithfully serving, and we begin to touch the divine mystery of what it's like to live outside serving yourself. And friends, nothing compares to getting outside of yourself and doing something for another that's unrequested and unsolicited. It is a major theme of why we do what we do in the life of the church to bear witness to the faith. Now, historically, what has happened in the life of the church historically at a 30,000-foot level is that this has been reduced to either speaking words of evangelism or doing deeds of justice and mercy. It is not an either-or. It's a both-and. That's where we are and who we are. And we engage in these 
moments of being faithful servants. And what elders suggest is that to get your life back is not just about stopping the rhythms, but it requires a willingness to move to the fourth stage that he said most of us get stuck at the faithful servants. We get stuck at the, hey, what would I ask you, right? I mean, I've asked you this morning, hey, uh, don't forget to tell us where you can do something. Write a note to a teacher where you can do something. Tell us where you want to get involved. Faithful servant stuff, right? But it's also about deep intimacy with God. We get stuck at the place of the doing, and the pause and the rhythm is about intentionally engaging in those moments. Elders quotes the editor in the preface of a book called On Union with God, and, and I love this saying. He says, Surely the most deeply rooted need for the human soul, its purest aspiration, is for the closest possible union with God. But when we get stuck in that in-between stage of the faithful servant in the deep intimacy with God, I just want to read to you uh, just one chapter that's right here. I'm sorry, one paragraph. About what keeps us from getting in, uh, in that deep union with God. Listen to how Eldridge says it. And there was just too much to put on the screen for you. So, However, Eldridge says, when I look at popular books today for Christians and podcasts and sermons and conferences being offered, I'm struck by how rarely the topic is union with God. They're either focused on things uh, to do, how to help your kids grow in their faith, do this for your community to share the love of Christ, take action to bring justice to this world. The, the messages can focus on inspiration, be a better you, live a braver life, you too can overcome. And there's a place for these things, of course, absolutely. But I think they are misleading because something else is needed first. Our energy, vitality, strength, endurance, all our virtues like patience, loving kindness, and forgiveness, these all flow from our union with God. When the soul tries to produce any of these on its own, it tires very quickly. Said simply, when we try to go it alone in our own ability, we'll wear out. But if we'll lean on God, we'll find ourselves being constantly renewed. So back to where we started. 1 Peter chapter 5. This book that was written to the early church, there's a 1 Peter and a 2 Peter. 2 Peter's words of instruction and teaching for the early church. 1 Peter is a word of encouragement to the church that's been dispersed in undergoing persecution and suffering. And so there's lots of things before them they're concerned about. How do you, literally, how do you get your life back? You follow the simple model of Scripture. Step one, you humble yourself. And you humble yourself so that God can lift you up. C.S. Lewis said that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Now, I love that imagery. We basically understand the difference between pride and humility. The call of Peter is to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. Not humbling yourselves to be a martyr, 
But there's a purposefulness in verse 6. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. Why? Because God is the one who's going to lift you up. Step one, humble yourself under God's hand. Step two, it's right here in the scriptures. Cast all your cares, cast all your anxiety on God. Say that prayer, Jesus, I give everything and everyone to you. Why? Because God cares for you. He wants to hear the cry of his children. Humble, cast. And then the third instruction is to be alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Be alert. There's a clear word of caution, a clear word that we're called to make judgments, to be attentive, to live into that biblical witness of test these things against the Spirit. Be in community to find out, is this contributing to your life in Christ and deepening your intimacy with God, or is it a distraction and taking you further away from God? Because I promise you, the world will help you be busy, busy, busy. But it won't be a busyness that's filled with purpose and meaning. The message of the gospel is something that's connected with, yeah, we want you to do things. Yeah, we want you to engage. Yes, we want you to go deep in love with God and be intimate with him. And the ways that you give your life to him have purpose and meaning. And when you give yourself in service, you will find the mystery of miracle of being refilled again and again and again because there's a difference between church work and the work of the church the people call the body of Christ. And when we pour ourselves out, God is always there to pour back in. We ground all of this in our understanding of God created this world and he called it beautiful. We've been the ones that ever since that first decision of not listening have tended to overcomplicate and make things difficult. So we resist. We be alert. And that's the fourth step. To resist the devil, stand firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. In other words, we all are in this together. And then this beautiful benediction, that's the grace of God who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered for a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong. Your restoration in faith does not come from your own abilities. It comes from your availability to what God wants to do in you. But you have to choose to make time and space to be in conversation with God and to fall deeply in love with God. So I hope you're still doing the pause. I still hope you understand now clearly that you are fearfully, beautifully, and wonderfully made. And to be able to tap into that intimacy with God from which everything flows. Be humble. Cast your concerns on God. Be alert. Resist the evil and stand firm in the faith. Easy concepts to hear but challenging concepts to live on a daily basis. Let's pray together. God, help us to embrace the wisdom of the teaching of Scripture. Help us to uh, hear the things we need to from the people around us as we walk in faith. 
Help us to discipline our own lives, to not get caught up in simply reacting to the schedules of the world around us, but to intentionally listen to where you lead and how you invite us into a deeper walk with you. God, we love you, we trust you, and we thank you for every person and experience that has helped nurture our walk with Christ. Help us leave today as people who are deeply aware of your love for us and help us reflect that love to a hurting and broken world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, do we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. A couple things to let you know about as we wrap up worship today. The first is, if you'd like to move forward before you move out, we have three baptisms happening at the 11 o'clock service today. We're welcoming another family into uh, membership this, uh, at the 11 o'clock service as well. And I would want you to know, if you don't have a church home, while the most important thing to us is your walk with Christ, you're being a growing disciple, we'd love to talk with you about being a member of this community of faith. So approach any of us as a church staff, and we'd be happy to visit with you about that. Uh, if you've never made that profession of faith and a yes to Christ, I just want to say there's a difference between taking up space in a comfortable pew in the air conditioning and being able to literally say, I surrender my life to Christ. Um, and I just want to lift that up for whoever needs to hear that, that we'd love to talk with you about that. And what does it mean for you to be one who says, I surrender my life. I give my life all to Christ. Christ.